you already know what time it is. Bronx Bias Podcast in the building. Let's go. Back like Jordan wearing the faux five. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 16 of the Bronx Bias Podcast. I am your host. My name is Denzel. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, for liking, for subscribing, for sharing, and for supporting. I truly appreciate all of the love and all of the support that I have received in this early, early stage of the show And it really means a lot to me. It's never lost on me how much you guys love and support um, this early stage of the show where a lot of things are changing. I'm still trying to find my sound. I'm still trying to find my lane. I'm still, you know, going through a lot of um, changes in terms of what I talk about, how I talk about things and just all the, the, the beginning stages of any of any creation. You guys really just love and support me um, so much. And I'm really appreciative. And I always just want to start. Um, with thank you because I really appreciate all of the support and all of the love that I receive. That was Go Hard or Go Home by E40. Ooh. Shout out to E40, man. The whole time is planned. I'm thinking like, you know what this makes me, reminds me of? It makes me think of, I don't know if you guys remember, I want to say it's like 2000 and 2006-ish, there was a movie that came out called Rise, R-I-Z-E, and it was about the dance style crumping um, that was popular in California, and, like, they would, like, dance crazy, and they showed you the origins of the dance and how they bring the kids in and do dance together and all that, and it just made me think of that. Like, I wish you guys could have seen me, like, when that shit's playing. I'm going crazy over here, like, (laughs) doing my little bullshit crumping in the chair. And man, I love that movie. And that song just reminds me of like that time, like when people would like crump, like shout out to Crumpet, man. Shout out to the homie Tommy the Clown. Shout out to E40, man. Shout out to the Bay Area. Man, I if you guys have some time on your hands, watch the movie Rise. It's the guy named Tommy the Clown. He's a, a black dude. He wears a clown wig, a, a face paint, and a, you know the red nose. And he travels around California. He has these dance crews, and they meet up, and they just crump dance. And it's like, it's crazy. It's not crazy. Like, it's like crazy good. Like, they just dance, and then they do, like, it's like a mini documentary why they started that dance and how they help the kids, like, stay out of trouble. They teach them, like, oh, you could just dance instead of, you know, gangbang and all that shit. It's actually a good movie. If I'm remembering it correctly, I hope I'm not doing it a disservice, but... That was a great movie. I remember seeing that. I was like 14 years old. Like, that was a great movie. And shout out to them. Shout out to Tommy the Clown, man. Shout out to E40. Shout out to Crump. (laughs) Shout out to the Bay Area, man. Shout out to y'all. We are going to have a great, great, great pod today. 
am in a very, very, very good mood. Fantastic mood. Fantastic, fantastic mood. Let's go. So as you know, we start each show with my favorite, favorite, favorite segment of the podcast, Bronx Facts. For those of you guys who do not know, or maybe it's your first time listening, Bronx Facts is the segment I like to do at the beginning of each show just to give one fact about the Bronx, New York that people may not know, that people may never have heard. Um, just to show you guys how much things and how many um, great things and projects and ideas come from the Bronx and how um, the Bronx has contributed to society or to the world um, as we know it. So here we go. Your Bronx fact for today is the Bronx Academy of the Arts and Dance, founded in 1998 by Arthur Aviles and Charles Rice Gonzalez, provides dance, theater, art workshops, festivals, and performances focusing on contemporary and modern art in relation to race, gender, and sexuality. It is home to the Arthur Aviles Typical Theater and also the Bronx Dance Coalition. That is your Bronx Fact for episode number 16. Yes! Yes! So before we get into uh, the main topics for the day, I just want to remind everyone to please stay safe, protected, protect your family, loved ones and friends. Please continue to follow the CDC guidelines um, in relation to the coronavirus prevention and spread. Um, Please practice your social distancing, wear the mask and gloves when you do have to go out in public. Don't be afraid to offer a helping hand to people in need, maybe like your neighbors. And we will get through this together um, because we always, always do. I just want to say it, um, you know, just just so it's said, you know what I'm saying? Um, The weather is starting to break, starting to get warm. I just don't want anyone um, to think, oh, because the seasons is changing, that the restrictions are going to be lighter Um, until that day comes where everything reopens back and we're able to go back into public life. I just want everyone out there to stay as safe as they possibly can. Um, and we will get through this together because we always do. And that's that on that. So our top topic today is in my sports lane and it deals with the NFL, but it's not in the way that you would think traditionally. It's not about the games. It's not about the stats or anything like that. It has to do with the NFL's Rooney rule. So what is the Rooney rule? The Rooney rule is a National Football League policy that requires league teams to interview ethnic minority candidates for head coaching and senior football operation jobs. It is an example of affirmative action, even though there is no hiring quota or hiring preference given to minorities, only an interviewing quota. It is. It was established in the year 2003. So basically, it's just um, the NFL created a rule to say you have to give um, minorities opportunities to interview for jobs, um, for head coaching positions, for position coaching positions, such as offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, defensive coordinator, et cetera, and for front office positions um, when they become available, like general manager, um, director of pro personnel, uh, you know, things, things of that nature. For the 2018 season, there were eight head coaches of color, seven African-American and one Latin American, 
which tied the mark from 2011 for the most ever. However, that number was cut in half for the 2019 season, with only four minority head coaches in the NFL. NFL owners approved new measures Tuesday aimed at improving diversity in coach and front office hirings, but they stopped short of approving a resolution that would have rewarded minority hirings with draft pick compensation. The original proposal was teams would have third round picks improved by six to 10 spots if they hired a minority candidate for vacant GM or head coaching openings, as well as other compensations for hiring minority candidates for other positions, such as offensive coordinator, quarterbacks, coach, etc. NFL rules stipulate that 24 out of 32 teams must vote in favor of a resolution in order for it to go into effect. The tabling of the draft pick resolution indicates there was not enough support for it to pass. So basically, um, in layman's, um, in the NFL draft, there are seven rounds, right? There's 32 teams and there's seven rounds. So um, the proposal, the original proposal was if you hire a minority candidate, black, Latin American, Asian American, Native American, Indian American, etc., they could potentially either improve your draft pick. So let's say you are the number six pick in the third round of the draft. They could potentially improve your pick to number one of the third round if you were to hire a minority coach or a minority GM. Basically trying to incentivize the hiring process of minority in the NFL. Now, there is a problem with the minority representation Um and there's two ways to look at it. Um, you can look at it like, um, I don't really know about that. Like, you can't really bribe teams to hire black or brown people, especially if they're qualified, because it's kind of like it's kind of like a slap in the face. Like, we're giving you this opportunity, but are we really giving it to you because we think that you're qual- more than qualified and you're going to help us win? Or are we giving it to you because of what hiring you can bring to us so there's two ways to look at it there's a positive way like okay they're trying something but also it could be looked at like you know kind of like a a a backhanded compliment like you know what i'm saying like yeah we'll hire you and you're the coach or you're the gm but really like you know there's this really good wide receiver in the third round that we want to get so like you know what i'm saying it can be it could be skewed the view of it Um, but there is a statistic and I just want to read some of these names here. If you, and football fans, please, this is where I need you guys expertise. I just want to read you some of the names of people in head coaching positions or who have been given head coaching positions over other qualified minority candidates. Um, we have scrub coaches in the league and they're scrubs. So I don't, I'm not pulling no punches on them. They're scrubs. Freddie kitchens are the, Cleveland Browns, Adam Gase, who took over for Todd Bowles, who was a black coach. Josh McDaniels was given a job with the Denver Broncos, and he uh, basically achieved fame from being a part of Bill Belichick's system. The NFL at large is on the Patriots' dick or Bill Belichick's dick, so if you ever coached, sniffed his air or was in his presence, you automatically get consideration for an NFL job. Josh McDaniels got a Broncos job in 2000 and. 11 and his first move as coach 
to draft Tim Tebow. You already know. Cliff Kingsbury is currently the coach of the Arizona Cardinals, who and he was a college coach at the University of Texas Tech. And he wasn't even that good in Texas Tech. He just happened to get the job. You know who was fired in his, for Cliff Kingsbury? Steve Wilkes, a black coach who only got one season with the Arizona Cardinals before he was fired. Joe Judge of the New York Giants, who was the New the New England Patriots wide receivers coach, recently just got the job with the Giants. Jim Tom Sula was given a job after Jim Harbaugh was let go. Chip Kelly was given a job. Bill O'Brien's racist ass is given a job. Ben McAdoo with the Giants as well. Trash. Matt Rule was given the Carolina Panthers job, who is an unproven college coach from the University of Baylor. Dirk Cutter was given a job over Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith was fired from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2014, 15-ish. Um, who was Lovey Smith is also one of the first black the first black coach along with Tony Dungy to coach in the Super Bowl fired by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for Dirk Cutter. Matt Patricia was given the Detroit Lions job, another Bill Belichick disciple. Again, the NFL is on Bill Belichick's dick. Um, and he was um, given the job in place of Jim Caldwell, who had the highest winning percentage in the history of the Detroit Lions until I mean since the 1950s. He had, I believe, a 563 winning percentage um, for the Detroit Lions, but he was given the boot for Matt Patricia. So it it it's hard to say with definitiveness that there is a conspiracy against minority coaches. But given the evidence and given the people who have been given these positions over or in replacing of a minority candidate, so such as Lovey Smith or Jim Caldwell or Steve Wilkes for Cliff Kingsbury, it's kind of easy to see how the NFL is basically just hiring white people, right? So it's it's kind of hard for me to say, no, they're doing it on purpose, but they're not really doing much to help their case, if that makes sense. So I'm not going to sit here and say, the GMs of the NFL and the ownership of the NFL is intentionally firing black coaches or intentionally replacing black coaches. It's just that it seems like white coaches are always given chance after chance after chance or given more opportunities to where a black coach would not be given the same amount of opportunities or the same amount of chances, even if they have proven to have NFL wins on their resume or NFL high high wins totals on their resume. So the uh, <clears throat> the I'm sorry the approved proposal that was um, voted on by the owners was um, in spite of the draft pick uh, proposition. The approved proposal is now teams will be now required to to interview at least two candidates from outside the organization for any head coaching job and at least one minority candidate from outside their organization for any vacant offensive, defensive, or special teams coordinator job. Previously, the Rooney Rule had required teams to only interview one minority candidate for one head coach, none for coordinator. Also, the NFL changed its anti-tampering policy to relax the rules that have allowed teams to deny assistant coaches and executives the opportunity to interview for jobs with organizations. 
other organizations. The resolution approved on Tuesday, according to the NFL, establishes a system that prohibits a club from denying one an assistant coach the opportunity to interview with a new team or two, a non-high-level slash non-secondary football assistant from interviewing for a bona fide general manager position. The Rooney Rule is expected to apply to a number of executive positions. Teams and the league office are now required to interview minorities and female applicants for positions such as team president, senior executives in communication, finance, human resources, legal, football operations, sales, marketing, sponsorship, information technology, and security position. Each of the 32 NFL teams will establish a minority coaching fellowship program. The coaching fellowships are to be full-time positions, one or two years in length, to provide NFL legends, minority minority and female participants with hands-on training in NFL coaching. The idea is to establish a larger pool of qualified candidates in the pipeline from which head coaching candidates are ultimately drawn. So um, I like that. You know, I I got to say I like that. I like that they're trying. I do. I do. I like that they're trying. And, um, you know, I'm not going to go as far as Marvin Lewis did, who was the former head coach of. The Cincinnati Bengals for I want to say 12 years. He said that it was offensive. It was definitely a <clears throat> sorry. It was offensive. It was definitely offensive, and it was like having Jim Crow laws. Like I won't go that far, like Marvin Lewis did, but I understand frustrations for qualified people. If you watch a guy like Matt Rule, Cliff Kingsbury, or um, Joe Judge get hired. And you say to yourself, I've proven that I can win in this league. It it seems like a slap in the face. So and then on top of that, the NFL says, hey, we could give you draft picks if you hire a black coach. And, you know, of course, that proposition was tabled, but it, it can come off as offensive. So I 100 percent understand that. Um, and it always seems like we're given the shorter end of the stick. Um, in terms of everything, you know, even as far as coaching, like you see how hard it is for a black coach to get a job and keep it. And then white coaches get hired and fired and hired again. Like, you know, you blink your eyes. Um, so I understand both sides. Um, but I do like that the league is trying to change the process of employment. However, it sucks that well-qualified candidates are passed on and unproven, unqualified and unheralded white candidates are always given opportunities it seems 70 percent of the nfl is black of the nfl players so there has to be more representation other than players in the league right especially because bitch-ass motherfuckers like bill o'brien who can tell deandre hopkins he didn't want his baby mamas around and then traded him for peanuts like or how steve wilkes was fired from the cardinals after one season for cliff kingsbury Cliff Kingsbury in his coaching career, I looked it up, was 35 and 40 after six years. So in college, which is a lower level of competition, Cliff Kingsbury was 35 wins and 40 losses for six years at Texas Tech. And like and and to top it off, Cliff Kingsbury had Patrick Mahomes as quarterback. So, I mean. 
I don't, you know, I, I can't really see how people couldn't have an attitude about it, especially when you look at the hiring and firing process. One of my favorite coaches who was white, but his name is Bruce Arians. He was a coach of, um, he was an offensive coordinator of the Steelers, my team. He was the uh, head coach of the Arizona Cardinals of the past. And now he's currently the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's always looking out for his guy, Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles is his defensive coordinator. And he is so strong that he will say, listen, if I can't bring Todd Bowles in as my defensive coordinator, then I can't take the job. Like, I completely fuck with that. I completely fuck with that. But unfortunately, there's not many Bruce Arians out there in terms of, one, the power because Bruce Arians is proven, and two, the people who are willing to stick their necks out for black coaches to come onto their staffs or stick their necks out like Peyton Manning did for Adam Gase to get the Jets job. So, I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's just, I just want, I would like to see things improve, and I understand that they're trying to um, take the steps to do it, but Think about if there was just more minority GMs in the league, right? More minority um, high-level football officials in the league. Bitch-ass Bill O'Brien. And I'm really, I I know I talked about Bill O'Brien before, but fuck Bill O'Brien. and <laughs> Fuck Bill O'Brien. That's number one. But bitch-ass Bill O'Brien wouldn't have said that to DeAndre Hopkins if he knew that he had a black boss, right? That's the, that's the, the biggest point, like... You wouldn't say that to a player, especially of DeAndre's caliber, especially of his character as well, because he's never been in trouble with the law. You would never say that if you knew you had a black boss, because then that would be your ass. But the league doesn't have much representation as part of the as as apart from the players. So he is empowered to say things like that, Um, you know. Jim Caldwell was fired from two successful jobs he had. He was the coach of the Indianapolis Colts in 2009 and 2010. Or 2000, I believe it was 2008 to 2010. Um, And he was fired from the Detroit Lions and he left both organizations with winning records. He was fired from the coach from from the Colts with a resume of 48 wins and 26 losses and 64 wins and 28 losses in Detroit. So it's like some sometimes the black guys get fired seemingly for no other reason than they're black because he's a winner. <laughs> you can if if you want to look at all the other ones and turn a blind eye to it, that's fine. But you cannot turn a blind eye to Jim Caldwell. 48 wins, 26 losses with the Colts, 64 wins, 28 losses with the Detroit Lions. Fired both times. So I mean, I can't you know what I'm saying? I can't really defend all of the actions. So I just hope that things can change. I hope that there's more representation because that's what we need. Um, more representation, more people willing to stick their necks out for us. And once we let people in, I mean, once we get let in, you know, we let um, each other in. Right. So, for example, the Miami Dolphins have a black GM. First thing the black GM does hires a black coach, Brian Flores. So. I just want to see more representation on the higher level um, because we always do each other um, justice. We always let each other in. But and once we get let in, then the floodgates open because there are too many 
competent, successful, and um, un, just people who haven't been given a chance to coach and who are black and Latin American, Asian American, Indian American, Native American, etc. Um, for all these bums, white coaches who keep getting jobs and opportunities. So, um, you know, that's that on that. I hope things can change. I hope they agree on a proposal that uh, or that this proposal that they did agree on um, pays dividends. And lastly, fuck Bill O'Brien. <laughs> fuck Bill O'Brien. That's that on that. You guys can follow me and hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram is R-O-D-G-E-R-S-N-E-I-G-H-B-O-R-H-O-O-D. That's Rogers Neighborhood. Twitter is Rogers Neighborhood. R-O-D-G-E-R-S-N-G-H-B-R-H-D. No vowels in neighborhood on Twitter. And I'm saying it and repeating it for the millionth time because I ask you guys weekly to send in questions, comments, concerns, feedback, whatever else things that you have that you could think of um, to me um, each week. And you guys never fail. You haven't failed. And I truly, truly appreciate it. So I want to answer some of the questions that I have received. So the first one says, where do you come up with the names for your episodes? So. Um, I literally try to think about every like miniature or seemingly miniature detail, um, about the show. Right. So, um, I try to think, okay, well, if I name the show something, you know, aside from like episode one, episode two, how can I kind of like make it all, how can I make it all like mesh together? That's the word mesh. So in my brain, I try to make the titles of the title to answer directly. I'm sorry to answer directly. The title is always something that I say in the podcast. Right. So, for example, um, if for for the last episode, Versace, I talked about Jay Versace, the Instagram, um, Twitter, social media comedian slash influencer. But generally speaking, I like to. It may be just like a phrase that I say or like a um, like a, a remark that I have in the podcast and then I name the episode that. So it's kind of like you got to piece together the puzzle, if that makes sense. Like I try to think of it like how can I name the, the title, whatever I name it. And then when you guys listen to it, you guys be like, oh, OK, I understand why he named it that like. That's that's what I go for in my brain when I decide what to name the episode. So, for example, like if I look at a random episode, I'm looking at them now because I don't even remember all the names. Um, so, for example, like episode. Episode number nine. Right. I just pick one randomly. Episode number nine was called Eastern Standard Time. So I named it Eastern Standard Time because. In that episode, episode number nine, I played a clip from Chris Broussard, who is a um, uh, analyst for Fox Sports, and he decided to rap like he dropped a freestyle. And in it, he said Eastern Standard Time and I had commentary on his freestyle. So it's like if you were to hear that, you'd be like, oh, Eastern Standard Time. OK, I get it now. Or like if I named it. Uh, looking at another random one um here we go episode number seven was called on the kids with a with a question mark so like on the kids like that 
And if you listen to that one in full, you would understand I named it on the kids because I told the story of a woman who I met who um, lied about having three kids. And I found that out on a day on our date. Like she lied about having multiple children. So I'm saying I said to myself, how are you going to lie on on the kids? So it's like that. I just try to um, I just try to like name it something kind of random. So you look at it and you don't get it. And then when you listen, hopefully you listen to the whole podcast. You like, oh, OK, I understand why he named it that. So that's just my thought process on that. The next one says, what horror story do you have from a job that you've had? Wow. Wow. Um, let me think. I want to get a good one. in. Um, okay, I got it. So when I was a kid, um, I was 15 years old. And, you know, when you're in high school, you could do summer youth. S-Y-E-P, Summer Youth Employment Program. That was my shit. I had a summer job every year. Um, and you get a summer job, right? And you get your little working paper from the guidance counselor's office. You take it up to the summer youth office. And then they call you in and you get a, basically get a summer job. So generally, those summer jobs were like you work at a summer camp, like with kids. You're a camp counselor or something. But me, I've never been good with kids. Like I've never been good with kids. I am like the worst person to be around kids. So I never wanted a job like that. So the first summer job I ever got was I worked in Soundview Park. And basically you were like a a park monitor, if that makes sense. Like basically you just did maintenance of the park. So like you pick up the trash in the park. You would, um, you know, just maintain the park like. Not not like back breaking work, but like, OK, you get the little pointy stick, you pick up the paper bags and stuff like that and you get to hang out. Basically, I chose it because you got to hang out outside all day and you got paid for it. Um, but my next summer job when I was 15, I got a summer job at Burger King. Yes, Burger King. And I chose it because I was like, damn, all these other jobs are with kids. I, I'm really not good with kids. I know this is not going to be a good experience for me. So I chose Burger King. Right. So Burger King, it was easy. The summer program, the summer job program was about six weeks long. So initially it's easy because they had me doing basic maintenance. And what I mean by basic maintenance is you sweep the floor, you wipe the tables, you um, clean the windows and you mop the floor and everything. You put the wet floor signs down, shit like that. Basic shit. And I thought that was easy because I do that at home. I was raised... Nigga, you got to do chores. Like, every Saturday morning, my mama woke me up. Stevie Wonder was on. Jill Scott was on. <laughs> Erica Badu was on. Oh, I knew it was time to clean. You know what I'm saying? So, it was just second nature to me. I've been taking out trash since I was eight years old. You know what I'm saying? I've been washing dishes, cleaning up after myself. You know, sweeping and mopping since I was a kid. So, it was easy. Toward the end of the program... um. It was like two weeks left in the summer program. They flipped the script on me. They told me that I wasn't going to be doing my regular maintenance, that I was going to be in the kitchen. They was going to have me, little old Denzel, cooking the food. (laughs) So I was like, "Um, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to. And they was like, no, you have to do it. So 
I go back there. The person they have teaching me how to, you know, put the burgers together, how to shake the fries and all that shit, didn't speak English. Didn't speak no English at all. Like none. Zero. And I'm looking at the people. I'm like, how are you going to have this person teaching me and they don't speak English? But the person, I guess, who they had normally wasn't there. So I said, well, I said, well, listen, this person doesn't speak English. Can't we just wait till the next day to where we have a more adequate person to teach me? And I'm like, no, because it's really easy. All you have to do is watch. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I go back there, right? They got me on, you know, Burger King. So their signature sandwich is the Whopper. So they got me on Whopper duty. Fam, let me (laughs) if you. If you went to a Burger King location on 86th Street and 3rd Avenue in the year uh, 2008, I want to sincerely apologize to you. Um, (laughs) I want to sincerely apologize to you if you ate a Whopper from that location because I made it and it was it's probably the worst thing that I've ever created in my life. Those sandwiches were disgusting looking. They were prepared incorrectly. They were wrapped incorrectly. Um, Everything about the sandwich was wrong. And I want to sincerely apologize to you if you visited that Burger King location and ate that food at that time because it was made by Denzel and it was horrible. And it was the worst experience because the the whole time I'm there the lady's talking to me she's speaking Spanish I don't understand Spanish I don't know what I'm doing I'm fucking up all the sandwiches and they're still sending them out it was it was it was horrible it was horrible 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 and then when the summer youth program ended oh I couldn't wait to turn in that uniform (laughs) I went home they was like you have to turn in the uniform I went home I washed it I brought it back goodbye forever and from that day, though, I will say I'm always I always try to be super, super respectful to the people who work at those places. I don't really eat fast food anymore, but like when I do go into those places, I always try to be super respectful because that shit is hard. Like so people go in there and like to turn up on fast food employees and like try to disrespect them and shit. But nah, I know the grind. So shout out to y'all, man, because y'all y'all do that shit. And that shit is hard, bro. That shit is mad hard. So shout out to y'all. Um, the next one says, what is your favorite quote from a movie? Um, if I have time, damn, I have two, but I don't know if I have enough time. Um, well, I'm gonna just try to go fast. Um, the first clip, the first quote I'm going to say is my favorite is the Samuel L. Jackson from my favorite movie, Pulp Fiction. Um, Samuel Jackson is interrogating people. He's a hitman in Pulp Fiction, and he's interrogating people who basically have stolen money or stole property from his boss, Marcellus Wallace. Samuel Jackson's name is Jules Winfield, and he's going. He goes into their apartment and he interrogates them, and he has just like the most amazing baller speech ever, and it's my favorite shit ever. And I want to play it for you. Um, it's like a minute long. Bear with me. But this shit is fire. It's Samuel L. Jackson and Pulp Fiction. What does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? What country you from? What? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English and what? What? English, motherfucker. Do you speak it? Yes. Then you know what I'm saying. Yes. Describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? 
Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. He's black. Go on. He's bald. Does he look like a bitch? What? Does he look like a bitch? No! Then why you try to fuck him like a bitch, Brett? <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did, Brett. That shit is fucking amazing. I love that shit. I, I just love that movie. If you guys know me, you know Pulp Fiction is my favorite movie ever. I love that shit. I love that movie. Damn, do I have enough time for the second one? Damn. All right, whatever. I'm going to just go and whatever. If it makes it, it makes it. Um, The second one is from um, Training Day. And Denzel Washington, you know, he's the man. He he really is. There's no denying it. And um, his movie, Training Day, is like one of his best performances, in my opinion, ever. He's had a lot of great performances, but Training Day is just where he was like in his bag. And we had never to that point seen Denzel Washington play like a villain type character. And the movie was always kind of like a good guy. So like he really just leaned into his evil bag and he man at the end of the movie where he said King Kong ain't got shit on me. Oh, that shit was so fire. And I have that clip too. You know I'm gonna fucking play that shit because that shit is fire. This is Denzel Washington in training day. Oh, you motherfuckers. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm putting cases on all you bitches. Huh? You think you can do this shit? Jay! You think you can do this to me? You motherfuckers will be playing basketball in Pelican Bay when I get finished with you. Shoe program, nigga. 23-hour lockdown. I'm the man up in this piece. You'll never see the light of day. Who the fuck you think you fucking with? I'm the police. I run shit here. You just live here. Yeah, that's right. You better walk away. Go on, walk away, because I'm going to burn this motherfucker down. King Kong ain't got shit on me. Bro, like, <laughs> that shit is incredible, dog. That shit is incredible. Shout out to my mom for naming me Denzel after that man. Um, he is a tremendous actor. And I see why, like, she just loved him so much. Even though I came out, I was already born. I think I was, like, eight when that movie came out. I didn't see it until I was, like, maybe, like, 13 or something. But that shit is incredible. Like, Denzel Washington killed that. If you guys haven't seen Training Day, I encourage you to watch it. It's a really good movie. Um, Pulp Fiction as well. Um, and, yeah, those are my two favorite, favorite, favorite quotes from movies. Um, to answer your question in a very long way. <laughs> and the last one says... Uh, what artists do you recommend when people ask you for a new music recommendation? Well, if it's um, R&B or hip hop, I have different answers. If it's R&B, I always recommend like the Internet. I always recommend Snow Allegra because that's my baby. And I always recommend Daniel Caesar. Um, The Internet has about four albums out, but I guess you could start with their last two. Um, It's called Ego Death and Hive Mind. It's their last two albums really really great music in my opinion r&b smooth cool chill music um snow allegro with ug those feels again that's my shit and um daniel caesar has three albums uh pilgrim's paradise if i'm remembering correctly pilgrim's paradise um fruidian and case study 01 those are 
great, great R&B projects. And for hip-hop, I always recommend um, Joey Badass. I'm a real big fan of him. He's from New York. Um, Griselda, of course. You know, I talk about Griselda all the time. Um, Freddie Gibbs is great. Um, he's kind of slept on, in my opinion. Um, Rhapsody is great. Female artist from North Carolina and Earth Gang duo from Atlanta. You guys can tune tune into them if you'd like. They have great projects. Um, so I always recommend those guys. Um, internet, just to recap, Internet for R&B, Snow Allegra R&B, Daniel Caesar R&B, and then Hip Hop, Joey Badass, Griselda, Freddie Gibbs, uh, Rhapsody, Earth Gang. Can't go wrong with them. Those are pretty good. Pretty good way, way to start if you haven't heard them before. And thank you again, guys, for the questions. I really, truly appreciate it. I love engaging with y'all. I love that you guys continuously listen for one and two are not afraid to send in the questions. Um, please feel free to send in questions every week. I truly, truly appreciate it. And even if you don't have a question, if you just want to say, hey, I really like listening to you or you just have something nice to say or positive feedback or even constructive criticism. I'm open to that. If you have an idea or you think that I maybe could improve on this or you notice I do something like, you know, that is counterproductive to success or something like that or anything you have for me, I'm open to receive everything. Um, and again, I appreciate the questions. I appreciate the engagement and thank you guys. I, I really appreciate it. Next on the docket, I want to talk about uh, this guy, man. Good old foot in the mouth, Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Biden, man, he's good for he's good for one thing, putting his foot in his goddamn mouth. Yeah, and he makes it really hard to support him. Like I've been one hundred percent um talking about I have no problem speaking about it. I wanted Bernie Sanders to win. I was rooting for him, but he couldn't. My money's on Joe Biden because I just think Donald Trump is the worst thing that the worst person, not the worst thing, but the worst person that could be in office, whatever. We've heard it before. Joe Biden, man, uh, he just he just makes life harder for himself each week. Um, he appeared on The Breakfast Club. And before I even start, shout out to The Breakfast Club um, for establishing himself as legitimate black media. Um, they are no longer just talk about hip hop and bullshit like that. They are legitimate black media where. Um, recognized high level officials go through the breakfast club. Um, they get great interviews from not just rappers and singers and arm and um, producers and stuff. They get real interviews from real high level officials like politicians, like lawmakers, like um, uh, who else? Uh, wh whomever important, like just big time people. They don't they're not boxed into this. Oh, you can only talk about hip hop like they talk about and they get elite level people to come onto their show because they're legitimate black media. And I just want to say that shout out to Charlamagne the God, shout out to DJ MV and shout out to Angela Yee because they are legit black media. And I love to see it. They're one of my inspos because they do the things the right way. They always are for the people and they may have made a platform to where you have to respect it you don't have to like them personally but you have to respect what they do in the media space i just want to say that anyway joe biden appeared on the breakfast club um with charlemagne on friday and he basically just uh i i don't know maybe he thought it was funny i don't know but he ended the interview with a, a off 
the cuff comment about blackness that of course people were offended by myself included so um he basically sat down for an interview with Charlemagne on Friday and it was an 18 minute interview and Biden discussed a number of things like the possibility of having a black woman as his running mate or that Democrats take black voters for granted or that um about legalization of things like marijuana like you know there's a lot of black people have been disproportionately um jailed incarcerated for marijuana possessions even though like now it's like smoking weed ain't nothing so you know they talk about all those things and at the end of the interview basically someone from joe biden's team could be heard off camera saying hey you got to wrap up the interview got to wrap up the interview we don't have a lot of time and um basically joe biden like looked at his watch and was like "Uh oh i'm in trouble to signify like he was running low on time and he ended it by saying if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or for trump then you ain't black like come on dog <laughs> like come on my g like you really making it really hard for motherfuckers to support you really you are but of course he walked it back and he expressed regret over his controversial comments he said um uh what did he say oh i should not have been so cavalier i have never ever taken the african-american community for granted and I shouldn't have been a wise guy. Um, senior Biden campaign advisor Simone Sanders said that Biden made the comments in a joking manner. She tweeted, Vice President Biden has spent his career fighting alongside and for the African-American community. He won his party's nomination by earning every vote and meeting people where they are. And that's exactly what he intends to do on November the 1st. The comments made at the end of the Breakfast Club interview were in jest. Let's be clear about what the vice president was saying. He was making the distinction that he would put his record with the African-American community up against Trump any day, period. So, of course, I have the clip for you. I'm going to play it. And I guess you could come to your own conclusion. But, Joe, man, you got to know better. And you may have made it meant it in jest, but we are people. We don't like to be taken as a joke. I'm I'm speaking me personally as a proud black man. I don't want to be taken for a joke. And my blackness is not dependent on, you know what I'm saying? Who, what I do or who I vote for. Like, that's the point. The, our blackness isn't dependent on if we vote for you. We're black every day. Like, so you have to know, like, you can't say stupid shit like that. But anyway, I'm going to play the clip. You guys can make your own distinctions, decisions, or have your own opinions on it. I just want to give you the evidence. Here you go. Joe Biden on The Breakfast Club. I'm in trouble. Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more okay. questions. But I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want something for my community. I would love to see Take you. Take a look at my record, man. I extended the voting racks 25 years. I have a record that is second to none. The NAACP's endorsed me every time I've run. The war, I mean, come on. Take a look at the record. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Anyway, thanks. I will come back. All right. I look Please. forward to seeing you in person. Okay, absolutely. Hey, man, whatever. I don't know, man. I don't know about Joe Biden. I don't know, dog. But listen, anyone is better than Trump. Again, that's just my opinion. I'm not trying to sway anyone's opinion. Do your due diligence. Do your research. Make an informed decision when it comes time to do so. Um, I personally 
am not the biggest fan of Joe Biden, but I am a less fan of Donald Trump. So I'm going to do what I got to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and whatever, man, he just he he just can't stop putting his foot in his mouth like he literally can't. If he can't make sentences, then he can't. <sighs> you know what, man? Whatever, dog. Guys, I just want you to make an informed decision when it comes time to do so. Re do all the research you can when it comes time to make your decision. Um, please be informed when you do that. These are just my opinions. These are not supposed to uh, change your judgment or make you feel a kind of way. These are just my opinions. And I'm going to leave it there. That's that on that. Um, One thing that someone... Uh, sent a message to me about and they I guess they wanted me to talk about and I'm just going to touch on it briefly very briefly is Takashi 69 listen I don't give a flying fuck about Takashi 69 I want to make that clear I don't give an ounce a centimeter a pound a a morsel a any thing I don't give a flying fuck about Daniel Hernandez Takashi 69. I don't give a fuck about this guy. So I will not be having any commentary about him. He he showed you who he was when the fire when his feet got put to the fire. So anything that he does now, you you know it's an act. You know he's not tough. You know he's not a gangster. You know all these things. So I don't like I don't pay attention to him. Because he's he's not someone to pay attention to. He's not worth my time, my energy. He's not worth any time on this platform. Like I don't I don't give a fuck about him. Honestly, I don't. And I will not be listening to any of his music. You know, I liked the stupid song when it came out. I liked it, but just like all the things and all the shit that has happened with this guy. There's a young guy. He's, you know. I don't know. I guess he only knows how to be problematic. I don't, I don't know. And I don't care. But yeah, no. To answer you guys the question, the question I received, I will not be given any time to Takashi 69 on any level. I hope that he can stay alive. I know there's people after him. I know that he's made a lot of enemies and not friends. And I do not want anyone to pass away. Um, so just because I don't care about him doesn't mean I don't want him to live. But he's playing a very dangerous game. He escaped one time. I don't know if he'll be able to escape again. Um, so I'm going to just pray for the guy. You know, I just want him to stay safe. But I don't give a two shits about that dude. So I'm not ever going to be speaking on him. This is probably the only time I'm going to speak on him. Like, I don't give a fuck about him. So, yeah, I don't care about Takashi. So I just want to make that clear. I don't care about that dude at all. And lastly, I want to touch on something um, before I wrap up. Please, guys, this is very important. Stop spoiling Insecure for me. I love Insecure just like y'all. I love Issa Rae. I think she's super, super, super talented. She's another one of my personal inspirations. Super talented um, writer, actor, super talented. Like one of the most talented black people out here in this Hollywood. She's so talented in my opinion. Yvonne Orgy, I've seen her do stand-up comedy live. She plays Molly on the show. I fuck with the show. I fuck with everything about the show. But 
I like to binge shows. When I when I find a show I like, I just want the season to play out. I don't want to have to wait week to week for a show. And I want to just watch it straight through. So if there's 10 episodes, I would rather just let the 10-week cycle of the show play and then binge it all at one time. So, guys, you guys are going crazy with the insecure spoilers, dog. <laughs> Every time I get on Twitter more insecure spoilers every time i get on instagram people doing instagram lives about insecure instagram stories about insecure um instagram posts about insecure please spare me the spoilers have to stop we it's too much too much spoilers you're fucking it up for me um (laughs) i have not watched one single episode of insecure yet and I want to just wait till the season's over so I could just binge through the whole thing. Please be considerate for the bingers um, and stop giving away the whole goddamn show every week. God damn, y'all niggas is like Wikipedia. Like, <laughs> y'all niggas is crazy, man. Relax on the spoilers. Please relax on the spoilers. There are people who have not seen it, want to binge. Be considerate of us. Thank you very much. Public service announcement. Thank you. And that will wrap it up episode number 16 of the bronx bias podcast is in the books thank you guys for listening i really appreciate the fact that you guys tune in each week and listen and like what i got to say and all those things i'm truly truly appreciate it appreciate it appreciative god i can't even talk i am truly appreciative of that (laughs) and also before i end i want to say rest in peace to jerry sloan um, NBA coach of the Utah Jazz from, I believe, 1978 to 2010, passed away on Thursday at the age of 78 years old. Um, rest in peace to him. He was a great coach. He led the Utah Jazz. If you guys watched The Last Dance, you know, he was the coach of the Utah Jazz in 1997, 1998, um, when Michael Jordan beat them for his fifth and sixth title. Um, rest in peace to him. Gone but not forgotten. True legend in this basketball um lane that we all love and um gone but not forgotten rest in peace jerry sloan um but you guys please stay safe out there weather's getting warm i just want you guys to please stay safe i want to reiterate coronavirus is very serious weather's getting warm i understand you want to socialize but please be safe out there and i'm going to fade you out with a great song um i talked about how i recommend the internet for people who ask me about you know music that to hear so i'm gonna play one of their songs this is called bravo by the internet off the album hive mind my first r&b closeout of the bronx bias podcast is still a first for a lot of shit on this show um but yes please i hope you guys enjoyed the song maybe you guys want to hear more of them um And this has been the Bronx Bias Podcast, episode number 16. We out. My love, I thought you knew. This karma thing, don't pick and choose. So every time that you perform, I learn just a little more. What a waste, babe, what a shame. You are playing games. Words come out your mouth. Look around, what a mess you made. Watching from the crowd, it's astounding. You're on your way. Thought that you had changed. I found out it's just a